every day, my dogs and my people in the factory. It's the only two things in life that I miss. Being in the factory and my dogs. That's all. Simply because the factory people are so incredibly talented in the sense of like, each stitch is still the same in my factory. I am Susie Menkes, and you are listening to my podcast, Creative Conversations. As a journalist reporting on the global fashion industry, I want to take you backstage and give you an insight into my world. Listen to my exclusive conversations with creatives, industry leaders, and those whose voices have some of the greatest impact. I think you might find it interesting and maybe intriguing. There is one word that describes Manolo Blahnik, fastidious. It applies to the delicate details of every shoe that the masterful designer has created over half a century. His own appearance, the hair swooped over his uplifted head, the graceful lilac suit, the crimson velvet shoes, adds up to an epitome of elegance. Shoe designer Manolo Blahnik started designing as the 1970s took over from the 60s and is now celebrating his milestone 50th anniversary. 50 years! How to celebrate the event when Manolo was pinned by Covid in his native Canary Islands without even visiting his craftspeople in the factories in Italy. The Manolo Blahnik story has been retold by the designer's niece, Christina Blahnik, who switched from her architectural practice in 2013 to become the company's CEO. The business is still privately owned and family run, and by using the age-long experience of Italian craftsmen and by adding hypermodern digital workmanship, Christina has brought the past into the present. There are sheens of gold in honour of the 50th year anniversary and a striking new store in New York has opened for the anniversary. In the house's 50th year, Manolo has worked with Christina and with celebrated curator Judith Clark in launching the Manolo Blahnik Archives, a new way of walking. It is, in fact, a virtual way of viewing all of the shoes and bringing to life the stories around them. The interactive exhibition marks the first time the house's vast archives are open to the public and the first time a collection of Manolo's extraordinary drawings is displayed, reliving some of the magnificent moments in his career. And if you've not seen the 2017 fashion film Manolo, The Boy Who Made Shoes for Lizards, which delves into the designer's whimsical world, I urge you to do so. The name of the documentary stems from Manolo's hobby as a young boy. Growing up on the remote Canary Islands, young Manolo would fashion little shoes out of chocolate foil wrappers for the lizards in his parents' garden. Listen to Manolo to understand, in his own words, an extraordinary world. Ah, oh, Manolo, wasn't it wonderful in days when we wrote to each other and we wrote nice little letters or little cards and we didn't have to bother with all these machines? Wasn't it a wonderful time? Oh, it was delightful. It was Elsian days, actually. I mean, it was really wonderful. This is the best period of my life, actually. Mid-70s to 80s. It was absolutely a constant discovery Constance sort of, I see a shoe and 
you know when you see something it produces an emotion you don't even know how to describe that emotion but this is what i was feeling at the time each novelty each person i met i felt something maybe because i was very kind as i came to england in 1970 you know manlo you and i arrived in the fashion world at just about the same moment i started writing as a journalist and um, it was just the same time as you started your fantastic career so let's go back to the late 60s early 70s it was an amazing time it was amazing for me i was young and excited with the world and what do you remember about those early days i remember it was called swinging london is that what you feel about it it was swinging yes i mean it was like every day was a party every day was some happenings i mean it was extraordinary london was a place to be even to be in the squalid kings road was a happening every second was somebody beautifully dressed and you know i was in the neighborhood it seems to me even today i think it was like sunny it was never shine it never so rainy or anything it was a different kind of london even even the weather was different i don't know maybe it's my fantasy well, now well one thing is the same that i remember so clearly writing in 1971 about this amazing shoe designer and you went alongside <laughs> manalo with Ozzy Clark who was the great um designer of clothes of the moment in the evening standard remember it was charles winter the editor the uh, anna winter's father he encouraged me he said go out and look at what's happening in chelsea look at all these designers and so i came to see you and i came to see ozzy clark and i put it in the paper 1971 we go back a long way my goodness but anyway suzy don't you think it was th- people like you and Molly Parkin and Grace Cottington Beatrix Miller seems everybody collaborates with each other because everybody came to me without even me asking i didn't have any prs and this is media things or directors that nothing it was like it happened you know simply because one talked to the other and it was a connection don't you think every time is different isn't it and um i do think that one thing that you must feel so pleased about is that um you've got christina your niece she's a trained architect she's very smart she's your ceo at manolo blanik and she really seems although she's so much younger than i am certainly she really and much younger than me too <laughs> but she um, christina really seems to understand what your company stands for and isn't that rather a nice feeling that 50 years on you, you the ideas that you had then are being brought into the modern world what happened to the christina now coming to us to to with me which has been now 10 years it's been a great great kind of say, advantage uh, in the sense of like um she understand more or less the system that i do i don't and you know five collections a year four collections a year the d- divisions between this and that i do things and i just put it on paper i dream about them i put it on paper i do things you've done something really amazing in producing the archives a new way of walking i think you've called it which is a great line do you know that word came from it was the royal fashion court uh, show in london and uh, you know everybody was there everybody was talking to each other it was uh, peter slasinger was my friend who lives in notting hill with me up there and um, everybody knew each other and everybody introduced to each other you know you end up to linda guinness postal and uh, talking to some kind of baroness or something i don't even know who they were but um that was london at the time people mixed to each other with such a ease such a kind of um joy in fact 
And uh, one of the people came was Cecil Beaton, um, which ended up after that being friendly because I was invited a million times at Radish House. He did my collections, uh, drawings for two seasons. And the, the, the first one, she died. I mean, the last one in January 1980, he saw his work printed in Vogue, the pages, and an interview in America. I said, Anyway, so to go back to the royal court, and he's the one who said to me, because, you know, the shoes were just so badly made in the sense of technical, I didn't have a clue about shoes, you know, but somehow he loved the way the girls walk, because the girls with the shoes with those, you know, sticks inside, was, it was totally walking very insecure and very kind of, I don't even know, swimming almost, making an effort to stand up because the shoes were just like with the heat. Uh, it was rubber, so they moved. So Cecil at the end, I was so worried. I said to Peter, oh my God, this is the end of my career. This is finished. I don't think I think I'm going to go soon somewhere. Anyway, so somehow Cecil said to me, oh, my dear, you know, they, I don't know how to do accents. Oh, my dear, the wonderful new way of walking. Just be happy. And this is what stick to me all, <laughs> all this time. And we end up, calling the, the experience, virtual experience, that way, the way of walking. Having seen this amazing thing, digital, would you like to see a museum with your shoes so that everybody could go up and look at them? Would you like to see that, whether it's in England or in Spain? Oh, it's a nice idea, but I mean, don't you think that it's a bit pretentious? I mean, I don't know. It's much better to do virtual. People just get, more people get in touch with that than going to a museum. I have too many exhibitions still. 1918, I had Bata Museum for five months or more. Um, I had um, the Hermitage, um, which is the first time a, a man of my, my profession was ex exhibiting things in that kind of temple of beauty. And um, I was very excited about this, but a museum, and it was an exhibition, it was another one in Madrid, another one in Prague, which was marvelous. One night I arrived, I saw the whole building in the Campa Museum through the river with a huge Blanik uh, written. I mean, the whole building was Menara Blanik. I thought, my goodness gracious, in Prague, my father would die if, I, if he sees us happy. Anyway, so I did dedicate a, a, um, a tree to my father next day, and I went to see the wife of the president and... You know, the whole thing, it was like, you know, the whole thing, the whole thing gets too much for me. Don't you think people get bored with seeing shoes? I don't think they get bored with shoes. But something I would like to ask you about that you've just been talking about is the very different culture of your parents. I think it's very interesting. You know, I never really, I certainly never knew your father and I don't really, didn't really know your mother. My father was very, very beautiful. My father was visiting that with the grandfather and grand parents that were going to America. They used to have boats from Hamburg to do all America and South America and then they end up in whatever, New York or whatever. And uh, they stopped in the island. My father met my mother and my father was beautiful in the sense of beauty, not like us. I mean, uh, my father was green eyes, blonde hair, you know, Typical Czech. With a father coming from Prague and a mother coming from Spain, you've explained how they met each other, but what do you think they brought into your creative spirit? Do you think the two sides of the characters of your parents show in your work and in how you envision things? I think definitely, yes. And as I get older, then I had a mom in Anglo-Saxon when I came to England, I was totally 
in love. I'm still in love with England. Alas, things have changed. But it's, I consider England my country. So um, I have three things in my life. Spanish in the middle, Anglo-Saxon a bit, and then Czech, because it was, my father was Czech. So I don't know how to call myself, but the influence of in my work, yes, definitely. And I realized this when I visit those Slavic countries, of course. I just feel, again, feel immersion when I think things like that. My father was an incredible man uh, in the sense of like, um, he loved adventure. He loved playing tennis. Every day of his life was playing tennis. Every day of his life. And we suffer, my sister and I, a lot. Because they say, in the afternoon after school, come and pick up the balls. At the time, we didn't have those modern things. Boom. No, it was like, you pick up the balls and just give it to them. Oh, it was horrible. I hate tennis all my life from then. <laughs> One thing that's hard for me to understand is how you were going to be a lawyer and a political person oh, stu yes. studying oh. at the University of Geneva. And then all of a sudden, there you were. You went to the um, Paris Beaux-Arts School, I think, but, but then you arrived in crazy London. How did you get from one to the other? Do you know something? I am one of those people that just, you put me there, I feel good. You put me in Geneva, I'm fabulous. You put me in London, I'm not, I never had a problem being, being adapted to anything. We put me in Paris, I was happy in Paris. You know, I never had that kind of different kind of culture. And of course, I was very much... Um, England was in my blood in the sense of like I grew up with Enid Blyton, can you imagine? Um, and uh, Charles Dickens, my mother every night because I couldn't sleep very well, never did, I still don't. My mother used to read to us, my sister and I. My sister falls asleep in seconds. Mine is a, oh, please, a little bit more, a bit more. And it was Charles Dickens, let's say Little Dorrit, I mean, oh, oh. Uh, great expectations, anything. But everything is... And my father was like absolutely Anglomania because all the time was like um, on the radio, BBC, what is it called in Casablanca? BBC World or something. I don't even know what it's called. So it was BBC was the most important thing. My father, good stuff, any language. When he was like little boy, they had to take care of them. They had a Russian woman. And my father spoke Russian beautifully, German, because he was a Heidelberg to school. Then Spanish, better than I do. I mean, French, I mean, every language. So the English was like, I hear it all the time. All of a sudden, there we are in the 1960s and you're in London and it's all madness. It's all young people dressed in a way that their parents would definitely not approve. There were little stores. There were the first, it seemed to be like the first of everything in the fashion world. Do you feel that? I, I say before that each novelty, each, uh, even a shop, even a dress that I see in Vern Lambert's shop in Charles Antique Market, anything, everywhere, everything I've seen, it was like, electric shock to me because, you know, i never seen this in Geneva or in Paris. There was like, and in Paris, what I saw was the drawers, the concept of the drawers, maybe or something like that, but nothing else. People in Paris were just boring at the time. I mean, the dresses and the, the way they dress, it was like too kind of boring. London was like, I was just open eye to me. So I learned so much in those years. I mean, not from people, from the culture, from everything. It was incredible 
place to be London. When you look back now at your archives, if you do look, where did this idea come from for your 50th anniversary collection? There was this all gold range with little bells tinkling and a shine to it. <laughs> the boots I love very much. The boot is the only one new one. The rest of the shoes, just like additions in gold to all the things that I've done before. But the novelty of that one was the boots. But um, it was... Uh, inspired by my mother designed she had a man there called Don Cristino and she had those um, huge uh, the boats when you arrive in the boats you have the chains huge chains that they grab the boat to just get him into the into the, to the port and she copied one of those things huge enormous thing and you know what when she was sick somebody one of the maids or somebody took it away but anyway so it was a huge chain so heavy and so noisy because the 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 the, the, the little bells were not little was huge and inside of the bell was evangelina my mother my father and myself an inscri inscription and everything like that so somebody might be having this somewhere i don't know moving forward to right now I just can't wait to see your New York store. It looks so magnificent in the pictures, and I'm so maddened that with this terrible COVID, I haven't managed... I haven't seen it too! You know something, this is amazing. I haven't seen the thing. I've seen it on the, on the whatever, the, 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 the architect sending me things. and say, would you do it like, do Regency Hollywood. Think about... Um, George Cukor, Jean Harlow, Mary Dressler movie, and anything like that to give ideas. Say, oh, I don't know what those people are. Just find out. Good books. So um, and so end up directing this thing like that. So I don't know exactly what is the the thing. I mean, some people adore it. I hear that all Manhattan loves you. That's what I was told by my friends in America, and I, I'm sure they're quite right. I wonder whether you can think back, thinking of New York and how it is now, how does it compare in your mind with the, your opening, how you felt at the opening of your very first store in London? I know you don't like to look back, but you must have some memories of that time. I did not have open enthusiasm, such of people invited. I was Chalita Secunda, which worked, she works, she's the one who put me through Aussie Clark. Then we have all those girls from London. Um, we have even people like um, Alice Onsbigot, all those girls, beautiful girls. And Amanda Lear, everybody was there. All the casserole was, used to be the canteen of the whole Chelsea. It used to be a girl, Suki Poitier, used to go out with Tara Brown. Everybody was in the, the shop, but they didn't have any invitations or anything. So they told the telephones, come over, we'll have some drinks. Drinks, miserable, horrible, uh, I don't even know, orange juice and some stupid thing, but not openings, you know, no, no. It wasn't an opening like as such, no. It was kind of a happening or whatever. One thing that may be a myth, but I'm longing to ask you if it's true. Do you have shoes stored in your home in Bath? Not anymore, Susie. Not anymore because, I mean, it was so much that we have to get near Bath. Huge, enormous store. I mean, with temperature and everything. People use it for paintings and things like that and designers use it for... But we have a huge amount of it, about 40, almost 40,000 now. But it used to be here. And the, all the beams of the house is an 18th century place here. So they were going like that, you know, just like going down. So they, we, they, we thought the architects thought, Mr. Blani, you have to take these things out of here because too much weight. I said, what about my books? No, the books can stay down on the first floor. Because I have books, but you don't even know. Oh, the kitchen, here, there, there. Books everywhere. It's like, if I have fire, I mean, 
it would be absolutely horrific because it's like the house will be. But what about the shoes now? Where are they? Where have you put them? Where is their secret hiding place? No, it's not secret. It's just in that house. I don't even know what it's called the warehouse, but I don't even know what it is. It's in Wiltshire. It's beautiful. I mean, Bent is beautiful. I haven't been there. I've been thinking about sex in the city. That you sort of introduced the idea of the shoes, the sexy shoe, being really part of the story. And I always wondered what you consider, not what the Sex and the City people thought, but what to you is sexy about a shoe? I won't say sexy, seductive about a shoe. Is it where it exposes the bare foot or is it the heel? What, what does it come from? Sex in the City was an incredible... I have no perception what they did for me. I had it, I had it now when people just say going on and on. It's been 20 years and still going on and on and on. But anyway, so I'm very grateful for this this woman called Candace Busnell, which is the writer of the, the, the this thing. So um knew about myself and so she was in London, she got the shoes and she was the one who did on the book the shoes on this carrier or whatever the name was. And and it became some kind of wonderful publicity, but at the same time it's just like, oh so long ago, I mean I don't want to know. If you are gifted by nature, with the most beautiful shaped footsie, you just need a sandal to just because it's wonderful, and that I found is sexy. But also, any shoe could be sexy. Depend what is the point that you're going to show in that shoe, and and somehow I have the trick that some of my shoes they really fit everyone, and no matter if you're just like a person of certain volume, um, a young, skinny thing, uh, middle age, old age, young age. I was very lucky that I have the trick that to just please all these people. I don't know. But sexy, sexy, sexy. I don't even know that possibly showing a lot of, lot of maybe toes. Uh, I don't know. Sexy is the woman who wears them. I mean, the way she manipulates that shoe to make it wonderful. And I think it's like... I was very lucky to have those incredible amount of models and things they wear in my shoes. And I guess that is sexy, possibly. The, the, the shoes that maybe the cat is sexy, but whatever it is you call sexy. I don't even know what sexy is any longer. But I think just showing toes, if they're beautiful and very beautiful groom, I find it that touching. Very, maybe call sexy if you want to. No, I didn't want to call it sexy. I wanted to call it seductive. Seductive. Sensuous and seductive. I prefer that. To me, there is a difference between it because I think that if you go for a sexy shoe, you're trying to show the world that you're ready to be sexy. But if it's seductive, it's probably aimed at one person. Much, much more important be seductive to me. And what do you think now of the future of shoes? After all, we keep seeing these things. Maybe you don't have to look at them, but um, we see that... Uh, People are now trying to produce pictures when the women, the models there, won't actually be wearing the clothes. But somehow with technology, you put the clothes over a body and you make it look as though that person is actually wearing new clothes. Can you imagine that happening with shoes, that they could be sort of pretend shoes, I would call them, the drawing of a shoe that's fitted on a leg to make a picture. I think it's called a virtual shoe. I think it's just on, we are beginning now to have a saturation of the same kind of shoes or called sported shoes or trainers or whatever you call it. And that has um, 
acquired incredible sort of you can see new designers beautiful dresses and then these horrible monstrosities on the on the toes i mean on the foot and and the shoes like that is not making any wonderful silhouettes or, or looks that i really get excited about it you know and you know i adore designers nowadays the other day that poor man uh, is gone i don't want to mention names but he's gone and he was very 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 talented and very kind of he had incredible different kind of scenes things in the american way and um, and big houses in europe they're using those people now and then they throw them away when the, their thing is gone they throw them away or they die or whatever but i really miss that kind of men uh, um, designers making women seductive and that is applies to shoes also Manolo Blanick you have told me more about shoes than I have ever known it's a joy to speak to you and I thought you might also be um, longing to see your artisans in your factory in Italy aren't you very close well, to them this is the only thing i'm really every day my dogs and my people in the factory is the only two things in life that i miss being in the factory and my dogs that's all simply because the factory people are so incredibly talented in the sense of like each stitch is still the same in my factory. Everybody's just not very young anymore. Um, I still, since I'm still okay, now I will be doing my work the same way that I always did with care and, you know, quality. And those people, those old people that have the incredible wisdom and they do well work the way they should be done. Uh, and I do really miss to be with them because I have a wonderful time. As I say, they do some kind of, I do a shoe in the morning and two days later I see the shoe and I say, oh, I still have that electric thing, this kind of emotion still. I mean, I, I don't think I will lose that because I'm a curious, stupid fool. So um, I guess that's what I think. Well, I would love to have told you more about the celebratory dinner when we were all thinking about you. It was at Wilton's and we had a beautiful dinner, but most of all, we saw your amazing shoes and we saw this new project so that you can go digitally and look at what you've done and look at the history. Of course, it's not the same as having you there. So I welcome with open arms the day when we can go to Wilton's together, perhaps just the two of us. No, but the two of us, of course. I can't stand more than two people now. Woo! Two of us and we talk. Above all, we'll talk about what we've missed during this difficult period, but how much joy and happiness there still is in the world. And all we want to do is to share it. Indeed, indeed. I want to share my, my, even my nonsense of words, my river of words. Your name is so synonymous with beauty. Um, over the years, you've used your imagination to create a different kind of footwear than existed before. How have you kept up your enthusiasm? You know, hearing you talking now, hearing you thinking about it, hearing you seeing that you've done new collections. What are you thinking about now for summer 2022? Did you sit down and dream? The only dream I have is just get rid of the disease immediately and go back to the factory. That's all my dream. I don't want anything else. Just and, pe and see people have you know, contact with people. I'm, I'm missing that. Well, I wish I could come with you and give you a hug. I can't wait till that day I happens. I do it for you right now. <laughs> and I send you all my love and wishes that you'll soon be in England and maybe in the United States. Uh, I'm in England now. Today, I'm in England. I'm in Bath. I came back last week. Right. Well, if I turn up on the doorstep, 
I can call. You can come any time if I'm here. So it's been so lovely talking to you. So thank you so much. It's a joy. It's always been a joy to see you over the last 51 years that I've known you. My God. So, so all my love. Mine privilege to talk to you is absolutely incredible. And to see you well. And from the Nullablanic to you, a huge reverence and a hug. Manolo, that was so fascinating and intriguing. I've known you for a long time, remembering those first rather floppy shoes you created half a century ago for Ozzie Clark and the super elegance of the footwear you made and still make over your long working life. I wish I could follow you from your beloved islands through the Italian maestros to your very British home in Bath. You have made history with a single pair of shoes, birthing so many, many more. To find Manolo's virtual archives online, visit thearchives.manoloblanik.com. Join me next time when I shall be talking to the Irish-British designer, Simone Rocha, as she celebrates being part of London Fashion Week and being in business for 10 years. Bravo. Creative Conversations with Susie Menkes is produced by Natasha Cowan, music by Yer Zuba, graphics by Paul Wallace, and edited by Tim Thornton. To find my articles, visit susiemenkes.com and susiemenkes on Instagram. If you've enjoyed the podcast, then please do rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can find me on all the usual channels. Mm-hmm.